Today's Bible reading is from Mark chapter Sorry. Today's Bible reading is from Mark chapter 16 verse 1 to 8. Jesus has risen. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought spices so, so they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, who will, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You were looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the woman went out and fl fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. Thank you, Isaac. How good was that Bible reading? Well, this is the end of our journey in Mark. Uh, it's been quite a long journey. I haven't sat, to be honest, I haven't sat in a book this long for a very long time and I've really enjoyed it, um, but I've really felt myself going, oh, this is awful the last few weeks. Beatings and spitting and mockery and shame and death, but good news. Uh, it doesn't end that way. And uh, we're going to have a look at the resurrection now. So please pray with me and we'll have a closer look uh, at this passage. Uh, Heavenly Father, we do come before you this morning with great hope, with great joy and great relief uh, of an empty tomb. Father God, thank you for all that we have been blessed with uh, in the Lord Jesus. Not only his life, uh, his perfect righteousness which has been clothed over us, not only his death which has uh, paid the punishment for our sin, but his resurrection, which has made everything true. It has made everything that he claimed about himself right. And it has given us hope beyond hope that we can walk with joy and peace into this life and beyond. And so, Father, bless us now as we open this word and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, back in... Uh, Back in the city of Philadelphia in the US uh, in 1951, a fellow named Roy Plunkett uh, won the John Scott Medal to honour a discovery that contributed to the comfort, welfare and happiness of humankind. Uh, Plunkett was a research scientist. He'd been working on trying to replace the refrigerants that were going in uh, the fridges of that time with something that was, wasn't flammable which is a great thing, and something that wasn't toxic, which is a great thing. And what they would do is uh, they would have canisters of what was called tetrafluoroethylene gas, and they were testing, uh, chlorinating them and doing tests on them uh, day by day. And on the morning of April the 6th, 1938, Plunkett asked his research assistant to set up their experimental apparatus with one of the TFE cylinders as... I'm glad he's called it, uh, you, that was used the day before. Now, typically, when the canister is opened, 
the gas would automatically release out of it and they would release the gases before uh, they would uh, do the tests on it. But this time when the valve was opened, there was nothing. The weight felt the same, everything seemed the same, but they realised that there simply wasn't any gas in it. So a puzzled plunket tipped it upside down and a small whitish powder fell on the lab bench. Uh, this empty canister, however, it changed my life forever. And it, if it hasn't already changed your life forever, I'll tell you what it is in a minute. Let's build it up. If it hasn't changed your life forever, I encourage you. Every morning, I am thankful for Roy Plunkett and this experiment. Uh, otherwise, I would spend a lot more time uh, after cooking in the kitchen. You see, Plunkett discovered Teflon. And it changed the automotive industry. And eventually, it changed the way that we cook. So now, in spend, spending 10 to 15 minutes scrubbing my pan... I can just wipe it over and put it away. You see, nothing will ever be the same for me again in the kitchen. Comfort, welfare and happiness are mine forever because that canister was empty. You know where I'm going. See, just like Plunkett's canister, the tomb Jesus was laid in on Easter Sunday as the women came to that tomb was empty. There were some white linen cloths but apart from that, there was nothing. And nothing will ever be the same again. But not just in the kitchen, for all of humanity, nothing will ever be the same again. See, Jesus was crucified the day before the Sabbath. Joseph of Arimathea, we are told, who was a prominent member of the Jewish ruling council who actually convicted and sent Jesus to Pilate to be crucified, well, it appears he may have been an undercover follower of Jesus. Not only was Peter denying Jesus, but there appears to be quite a number of people who just could not bring themselves to put themselves in that place, which probably would have condemned them to identify with Jesus. But we're told before our passage that Je Joseph of Arimathea, he went to Pilate and asked Pilate, can I have the body? Pilate was quite amazed that Jesus was already dead so quickly. So he sent a centurion, checked, yep, and he allowed Joseph of Arimathea to have Jesus' body. Joseph went and bought some linen cloths and wrapped Jesus' body so that he could place him in a tomb. See, just as Jesus was born and he was wrapped in cloths and placed in a manger, Jesus dies, he's wrapped in cloths and placed in in a tomb. A large stone was rolled in front of the tomb so it couldn't be opened. And in the last verse of chapter 15, we're told this, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. And with that, the grieving and the mourning could begin. Saturday, the Sabbath came, and the Sabbath made everything and everyone stop. I often wonder what that Sabbath would have felt like to those who had witnessed everything that had gone on, particularly these women who were so keen to do something for Jesus. And then in verse 1, we are told this, when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus's body. 
See, Mary Magdalene, we're told, has watched Jesus' body being laid in that tomb. She'd seen the stone being rolled in front of it. In fact, Luke chapter 8 tells us it's bigger for her than that. She had had seven evil spirits driven out of her by Jesus in his ministry. The other Mary was the mother of James and John who had been along with Peter, chosen to witness the transfiguration. They were there to see the full glory of Jesus' divinity revealed. They were there to see the full humanity in his suffering in Gethsemane. And no doubt their mother knew all about this. In fact, she would have witnessed these miracles. She would have seen the story, heard the stories from her son. But Matthew chapter 20 tells us she came to Jesus during the ministry and she was the one, kneeling down, asked a favour of him. The favour? Please let one of my sons sit at your right hand and one at your left. See, these are the same Marys. In fact, 25% of all women were called Mary. That's why we are told Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, so that we know which Marys we are talking about. Salome, well, she doesn't need to be identified. There weren't many Salomes. We were back, uh, told back in verse 41 of chapter 15, along with these and a lot of other women, had watched Jesus die on the cross from a distance. We were also told that these women had cared for Jesus during his ministry, no doubt providing food and everything that he needed. See, they loved him. This isn't a random group of women that Mark introduces us to here at the tomb. These are important women in Jesus' life. These are central characters to the whole unfolding gospel. Now, all they want to do is honour him in his death. They want to anoint his body. But little do they know that the other Mary from Bethany had already done that as she wept at Jesus' feet, wiped his feet with her tears and poured an alabaster jar of perfume over his head worth a year's wages. You see, these women were so central to everything in Jesus' life and they're on their way to the tomb and they, see, they had seen the stone rolled in front of the tomb and now they've started asking the question, oh, I love people who do this. They just go for it. I plan. I love people who just go, you know what, we're going to do this. And then they go, oh, yeah, it's a big stone. How are we going to get that stone out of the way? I think that's what faith looks like. You just go and you figure it out as you go, trusting that there'll be a way God will provide. But as they're having this conversation, who's going to roll this stone away? Well, we're told in verses 4 and 5, they looked up and they saw that the stone, which was very large, very important bit of detail that Mark makes sure we understand, had been rolled away. See, as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side and they were alarmed. Alarmed. Now, in other accounts, we're told this is an angel. The tomb would have been carved out of the side of a hill. Now, I've been to Israel. 
Um, um, anyone else who has been, there's a wonderful space you can go, which they say in Israel, if it's not here, it's near. Uh, it's quite possibly that uh, it was the tomb Jesus was laid in, probably not, but it would have been exactly uh, the kind of tomb that he was laid in. And what we, I didn't realise until I got there was you actually walk into the tomb and it's quite large. And on the right-hand side, there is a slab of uh, concrete, uh, of rock, uh, in which they would lay the body. And there was quite a large area, so people could come in, pay their respects, and obviously anoint a body and things like that. So it wasn't unusual to go into a tomb in order to uh, pay respects and to uh, care for the body and to prepare it for the final uh, burial, to, to be sealed up. So we're told here that they've gone in and they've found not just a body. In fact, they haven't found a body at all. They found an angel. But just like the unexpected discovery of Roy Plunkett, the women discover what they did not expect. But should they have expected it? Well, back in chapter 8, if you remember, Jesus says, who do you say I am to his disciples? And Peter says, well, you are the Messiah, the Christ, the promised saviour, the king from the Old Testament, the one we have been waiting for. And Jesus says straight to them, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. In fact, the gospel accounts mention 21 times where Jesus is either alluded to or or taught that he would rise after three days. Some of them might be the same instances. So nobody should be unexpected. Really, the expectation is that he would rise again. But you see, our past experience, it informs our present response And no doubt these women, as we all have, have seen people die and buried. And there is no other time in all of history that anyone has ever raised from the dead. Even when Lazarus was told to come out of the tomb, he would have died again. He was resuscitated rather than resurrected. This is something entirely different. And we're told, rightly, the women were alarmed. That is not normal see who is this fella what is going on in this tomb now alarm comes when we encounter something unexpected when i first moved into carry cottage which is the church's house next door um, i'd moved into a place which was well it's a blue mountains so i figured it would be quiet at night i figured it would be really peaceful there's trees around you know it's going to be one of those wonderful places Well, I'll tell you what, the first night I slept in that house, bang, on the roof. Like, what is that? So, you know, you tense up, the alarm, like literally alarm bells ringing, what is going on? Bang, again. And I'm just lying in bed, frozen, going, okay. Now, our past experiences inform our present response. I grew up in Blacktown. Blacktown wasn't quite the Blue Mountains. Why do you laugh at Blacktown? Blacktown is not the Blue Mountains. And I 
could only come to one conclusion from my experiences in Blacktown. It was obviously a group of young people throwing rocks at the house. So I pluck up the courage and out I go. And I'm looking around, chest puffed up. Bang! And off the roof doesn't roll a possum, rolls a cowrie nut. Ah, see, it's called Cowrie Cottage because if you go and have a look, there's the biggest tree in the universe sitting in my front yard where I have about 10 people every day just going like this in front of my house. And they have these huge nuts. Now, I've been up in Kununurra and we've got Boab trees and they've got nuts, but these things are monsters and they're heavy. Don't park your car under it. Bang! See, that was unexpected and my response was alarmed because all I could do is think about what I knew from my past experience. So when I went back to bed and then came the possums, it felt like there was a train track across the... And I didn't sleep a wink for nights until I understood that possums don't really come in and bite your head off in the middle of the night, so I was fine. But you see, these women had never encountered this before. It doesn't matter what you're taught. It doesn't matter what people say. It doesn't matter if he's showing miracles and all manner of things. If he says he's going to rise from the dead, well, when it actually happens and he dies, what's your first response? Well, what has always happened? Peter went back to fishing. And these women are expecting to anoint a body. But no. The unexpected, the tomb is open and an angel is sitting sitting there. And don't you love these heavenly beings right through the Bible just as you encounter them and everyone trembles and falls down in fear? They say, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. So at this moment, he teaches them what we all should do on a good Easter Sunday, which we've done now. So when I say he is risen, we intellectually know he's risen. So you go, he is risen indeed. So these women learnt how to uh, respond to this resurrection with these wonderful things. He is risen, he is risen indeed. An intellectual ascent, we can all go home, we've all intellectually know. No, he says, see the place where they... See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And of course, they respond as the angel asks. Well, no. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. See, that's a heart response. It might not be the right one, or maybe it is the right one. They were afraid. They were trembling. They were bewildered. See, I often wonder on Easter Sunday how we respond to the news of the resurrection. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Okay, let's get on with our life. That's not what's going on here. I think there's a reason 
that Mark has left his gospel here. Now, the rest of the verses are likely not in his gospel. They've been added later. And I believe he's left it with this empty tomb with the angels saying he is risen and the women too afraid to say anything. Because that should be the response. Because if you do understand what that means, that someone has been raised from the dead, but not just someone, Jesus the Nazarene, then your life can't go on as it's always gone on. You need to go away trembling and afraid and think, what does this mean for my life? You see, Mark, right from the outset, has told us this is where we're heading. In chapter 1, verse 1, when we started this whole journey, he said the beginning of the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in the prophet. See, he was never going to remain hanging on a tree. He was never going to remain in the tomb. There had to be something more. The Messiah couldn't be dead. But he also wasn't the Messiah they expected. The military, human Messiah that would come and conquer Israel, uh, conquer the nations around Israel. No. He's conquering more than that. He is conquering death. No one expected that. No one was ready for this. And so trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. Have you grasped what this means? He is risen. Yes, he is risen indeed. And so what does this mean? Well, we need to go and change something about our life, our whole direction, everything. Now, Doug fortuitously, providentially, in the Holy Spirit, read the very verses I'm about to read you at the beginning of the service. See, the Apostle Paul, known as Saul, was persecuting Christians for this, uh, for this message. Resurrection? He's come back to life? Now, we've got to squash this. And so we are going to kill the Christians and all this will disappear. And then on the road to Damascus, Paul is converted. He has an encounter with the risen Lord Jesus. And then he writes his letters, he does his ministry, he proclaims the good news about the resurrection. And in 1 Corinthians 15, I'll read it to you again, he says, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, that's what I'm doing right now, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. For if the dead are not raised, Christ has not been raised, and if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. You see, you take the resurrection out of Mark's gospel and you've got nothing. You've got nothing any different to any other religion that is on the earth today. You're either worshipping a false idol or you're worshipping a dead person. 
There is no other religion that says our prophet has raised from the dead. Our prophet is in fact God. Our prophet is in fact the Son of God, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. See, Roy Plunkett's discovery of an empty canister brought comfort, welfare and happiness because he discovered Teflon and I'm forever thankful for that. But whether you like cooking or not, whatever. The discovery of this empty tomb brings more than just comfort, welfare and happiness. It brings everlasting life. It ensures the forgiveness of your sin. Because in the raising of Christ from the dead, everything he claimed about himself is true. You cannot sit on the fence in this. If he was raised from the dead, then everything he taught, everything he claimed, everything that he said about himself, about the future, about the history of the world, about God, about all things is true. And you need to turn your life around and follow him and listen to him. And live your life in light of the resurrected Christ. But if you believe he did not raise from the dead, then why are you here? You're here for the wrong reason. You can follow anyone. And if you want to follow a good teacher, go and follow, I don't know, there's plenty of them out there. Jordan Peterson, he's the latest one. Go and follow him. I'm not saying he's a bad guy. He's a very wise guy. I wouldn't want to be in a room having a conversation with him. He's just brilliant. But he's not the Messiah. He's a good teacher, but he's not a Messiah. See, the resurrection makes everything different. And so this morning, we are here because he is risen. Amen. I like that. Better than he's risen indeed. Uh, you know, keep saying it. I don't want to ruin that. But seriously, this is not an intellectual ep- 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 episode. This isn't about intellectually assenting to the resurrection. This is about a heart response that changes because of the resurrected Christ. Because Jesus says, when He is the first fruits. And because He's the first fruits, all who put their trust in Him will be raised again to eternal life. And his death on the cross, the forgiveness of your sin, it all hinges on this resurrection. And guess what? The world doesn't like it. And they won't like it. Paul was trying to, when he was on trial, talk about the resurrection and he was told, your great learning has made you mad. He says in Corinthians, the wisdom of the world is foolishness to men. So don't expect to be able to intellectually assent and and, and debate and prove Jesus' resurrection, even though the proof is all here. You can do that. That's not the ultimate goal. We are not winning minds. We are winning hearts for Christ. And it is the Holy Spirit's work. And I encourage each of you today to perhaps go home and reflect on the reality of this. And if you came to a place where you are trembling, bewildered and afraid of what that might mean for your life, well, good. Because hopefully that will lead you 
to surrendering that whole life to the risen Christ, who is the King of kings, who is the Lord of lords, and who is forever seated on his throne, ruling the living and the dead. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning on this Resurrection Sunday and we say thank you that the tomb was empty. Thank you that it makes all the difference. Thank you that we don't come just intellectually assenting to a man being raised from the dead and going, yes, we can, we can have some of that. We can allow that to be part of our doctrine of theology. But we come responding to this reality trembling, bewildered and afraid that, okay, if he has risen from the dead, then this changes everything in us. Father God, I pray for each of us that we will be able to grasp hold of what this means for our life, to turn away from our sin and to commit our and surrender our entire life to the Lord Jesus. Father God, I pray a blessing over those who do not know Jesus as their Lord and Saviour here today, Lord. I pray that you will affirm in their hearts this truth, that Jesus, he lived the life we could not live. He died the death to pay the punishment for our sin and he was raised again so that that forgiveness is sealed and that we have life everlasting as we put our faith in him. Bless the rest of this week, Lord. Bless the rest of this uh, Easter time and we pray that the Lord Jesus and his resurrection will be central to all that we do. And we pray it in his name. Amen.